0: Alright, we'll go ahead and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we're going to continue. Uh, probably going to do at least one more of these um, talking about the King James, basically defending the King James only position. And I, tell you, I am just blown away at the amount of outright attacks that there are uh, on the King James only position these days it's really uh, getting pretty ridiculous and there's without a doubt there's an agenda behind it and I will and one thing I often will admit is there are a lot of really weird and dumb things that are said in the name of King James Onlyism, which often enables bad people to kind of exploit those dumb things that are said and then insert their ideas About the, you know, king, about the position, about the text. And I'm telling you, the stuff that they are bringing in is absolutely, uh, crazy. And I think, and I think a lot of it is full-blown satanic. When we think of satanic, we often think about, you know, something that they do at the Grammys or something like that. We're all dressed up like freaks and doing all that kind of stuff. But stuff that's satanic shouldn't be stuff that we've seen Satan do in the Bible. And what's the very first thing we see Satan do in the Bible is he's questioning the Word of God. You know, we see Satan, he's not transformed into this, you know, red horned devil with a tail and a pitchfork and all that thing. No, he's transformed into an angel of light. And so Satan, he's a counterfeiter. Satan tries to pretend to be Jesus Christ when he's not. And so it's important that we understand those things. And so when you hear, when you say something is satanic, you know, people kind of take that in the most extreme way, but I'm saying it in the most, you know, biblical way. And I've preached on that before, about how things that are actually satanic, you know, probably look a, more, a lot more like what you see in a lot of churches today than they do what you're seeing, you know, in so-called satanic things and satanic movies and stuff like that. So, I want to start off though reading a very important verse, and it says in 2 Timothy two fifteen, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth and i'm not going to take the time to go into all the context I've preached on second timothy 2 a lot But the theme of second timothy 2 is preserving good doctrine Preserving good doctrine not only is it going to take work not only is it going to take a great deal of effort and diligence and study But it's also going to require Fighting it's going to require standing against false teaching paul warned us about that big time And so the thing is, there is nowhere in the Bible where it tells us and it gives any indication that learning the word of God, getting our doctrine right, that it's going to be an easy task. It's not in there. It's in the Bible that you are going to have to do work to do these things and you are going to have to contend against those that are going to try to deceive. Now, what we have today is we have people basically... Coming up with all these false ideas that sound good about the Bible. You know, and they'll say things like, well, you know, shouldn't we have a Bible that's easy to understand? I mean, well, who's going to say no to that? Now, obviously, I do not think we should complicate the Bible. But at the same time, obviously, I think it's important that we try to make things as clear as possible. But they're saying that to a generation who doesn't want to work for anything a generation that wants to put no effort into anything. And the thing is, God's Word gives no indication that we will be able to learn the things that we need to learn without putting in some work, without making some effort. And so uh, these things that they're saying, while they sound good, they're not really biblical. And I want to talk about something very specific that I'm seeing. Some of these people... Uh, who are trying to get people away from the King James only position, something that they are using as a way to kind of trip people up. But I'm telling you, once again, there's a legitimate situation here, but their solution is dead wrong. And these are what are known as false friends. Okay, And uh, so the title today is it's false friends in quotations in the KJV. Now, what is a false friend? I'm pretty sure Mark Ward is the one who came up with that term. He's the First one I heard use it. He's got a bunch of videos on YouTube about it. Um, I had a conversation with him one time. We had, we had a nice conversation. You know, we didn't agree on everything, but I appreciated him talking with me about it. And, uh, we brought up some of these things, but, uh, basically what he, when he talks about false friends, these are words that are in our KJV that are words we still use today. Unlike, we have the archaic words that we talked about last week that, you know, nobody really uses those words today. And we talked about that, we gave a few examples, but he says there's also words in our KJV that we do still use today. And so when we read those words, we think we know the meaning of those words. The problem is we've, we those words have a completely definition now than they did back then. And that is true. There are words like that in our King James Bible that when you look at it, it's like we we know that word. We know what that word means. We use that word. If you use the word nephew, I mean, what does the word nephew mean in the king or in in our language today? It means your brother or sister's child or son. Where in the Bible it actually means your grandson. So I mean, you know, you can look at that word and think, oh yeah, that's talking about your brother, sister, or son. Well, no, it's talking about your your grandson. But here's the funny thing about it: if you actually like we talked about last week, study the uses of that. It's pretty easy to figure out. It's talking about grandkids. So uh, again, uh, it is a legitimate thing, and you do. And you feel stupid sometimes as a theologian when you're reading your Bible or when you're even when you preach something and then you completely teach something wrong because you did not know the meaning of the word and you thought you did. That often uh, that's embarrassing. But again. The solution is not read, translate the Bible. The, the solution is study. That way you'll be a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Because again, even back then, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy 2.15, he's telling you there's a potential if you don't study, if you don't do the work, you're going to be ashamed. And that is, that's always going to be possible to happen. There's no way to translate the Bible in a way where that you're, that's not going to require study that's not going to require effort and diligence. It's just not possible. But again, that's what people are wanting today. People want something that's easy. People want something that's quick when it comes to these type of things. And so again, at least with archaic words, you know, we know to look them up, but with the false friends, you know, we're very likely to read them and come to a false conclusion. And that's something that he will bring up. And so his mark ward his solution is we need to update the bible but is that the proper solution or is it even necessary because again i believe this is an example of someone pointing out a legitimate challenge but coming up with a terrible solution and again when when you do something that makes you feel dumb you know it's nice if we can blame someone else and so we can blame the translators, or we can blame all those King James onlyists that forced us to stay in, a, in an old book instead of letting us use one of the modern versions, which would have made it so much easier. But no, that, that's not right. It says in 2 Timothy 2:14, "Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers." And then right after, that, it says, "Study." To show thyself approved unto God. And I feel like that's what people are doing here. They're striving about words to no profit. And it's like, wait a minute. Do we really need to take the time to obsess over this word? Or can we just actually look at the overall message? Because when I talked to Mark Ward too, he spent, you know, one part of the conversation, I think, trying to convince me that I didn't understand what the word study even meant in 2 Timothy 2.15. But then as he went into this deep explanation of what it actually meant, I'm like, that's exactly what I would thought. You know, that's exactly the message that you're expressing to me is the exact message that I got from reading 2 Timothy 2.15 because I understand the context of the passage. I understand that studying, okay, it's not simply just a, you know, a word that means hit the books but it is something that means that we need to do our diligence we need to put in the work we've got to make an effort if we are going to understand the bible if we're going to rightly divide it because again this whole chapter is about preserving good doctrine and he's telling us it's not going to be easy it's going to be a challenge. it's going to take work it's going to take a fight and so that's the message that i get from that entire chapter. I don't just go to a verse and zero in on one word and try to get the full message that way and look up definitions. No, I look at the passage as a whole. And so, um, and we're gonna try, I'm gonna to try to look at some of the examples that he gives, but the fact that we are commanded to study and anyone's going and anyone is gonna be likely to go into error if they're lazy in their Bible study. So people are demanding a Bible that does not require study people want a Bible that's shorter. Okay. When you want to learn anything, what do we want to do? If you look up on how to fix something, if you're like me, I often look up how to fix something on YouTube or especially if I'm doing anything with computers. I was trying to use a new software yesterday, couldn't figure out how to do anything on it. So you know what I do? I look up YouTube videos on it and I look at the one that has the shortest length of time. I want to find out and I want to find out quick and I want to watch it in double time because I just want to get it done. Now, if that's our atti- and that's our attitude today, but when it comes to your Bible, you're going to have to put some effort. You are going to have to meditate. You have to obey it. You have to apply it. There are so many things that you have to do, and so people often make up these crazy, foolish rules that the Bible doesn't even talk about. But then they will base these rules for the Bible. You know, uh, you know for they'll they'll base their rules they come up with on a Bible verse. For example, I talked to a guy a few weeks ago when we were up in Freeport who he knew that the Bible was not God's word. He knew there were mistakes in the Bible because every time he would go and tell me some weird belief he had, he would base it off the scripture. And then I would explain to him how you're not using that scripture right. And then he would say, but God's not the author of confusion. And so if I interpreted it wrong, then that means I got confused. And that that was just, that was literally where we went with everything. He would go to a passage in the Bible. He would completely butcher it, completely take it out of context. I'd have to explain to him where he went wrong in that passage. And then he's just like, the Bible says God's not the author of confusion. Since I got confused, the Bible can't be the word of God. That's ridiculous. Okay, that is absolutely ridiculous. You know what this guy, again, he's requiring a Bible that he doesn't have to study. A Bible that he doesn't have to even use all of it. A Bible where he can just look at something and look at one verse and have all the right ideas on, on everything. That's just not going to happen. It absolutely is not going to happen. But that's what that guy was demanding. And you know what? I couldn't get anywhere with a guy. He doesn't even believe the Bible's the word of God. And when he doesn't like something, he just... Doesn't believe it. And so, not much you can do in a situation like that. But, in, in one of Mark Ward's videos about false friends, he talked about the ways you can spot false friends. And it was interesting when he brought this up because some of the things that he pointed out, it's like, well, you know, there's the solution right there. Because again, there are words in our King James Bible that we think we know the meaning, but we don't actually know the meaning. So, how can we make sure when we are reading our Bible that we are properly interpreting it? And one of the things he says is that will help you spot false friends is contextual conflict. And he used 2 Timothy 3, 1. Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 1. Interestingly enough, this is right after 2 Timothy 2, that's all about preserving good doctrine and about the, the work it's going to take, about the battle that you're going to have to fight. And then in 2 Timothy 3, he's explained to us why we're going to have to fight this battle. And he says, know this also that in the last days, Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. So he's explaining the type of people that we're seeing today. And one of, but one of the things that it says is incontinent is the word. Okay. Now you know we use that word today to you know mean something that's kind of gross. Okay, I don't really want to get too descriptive on how we use that word today, but is that explaining, you know, is is people's incontinence today a sign of the last days? When I when I say that, I mean medical uh incontinence, so the modern definition. Well, obviously that isn't what it is. And so the truth is when you read that, you know that's not talking about somebody struggling with their bodily functions, okay? There's no doubt about that when we read that. We can tell from the context that just doesn't make any sense. Okay? So the thing is, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not gonna get up and preach here that, you know, if you're struggling in some of these things, that it's cause you're a lover yourself and you're not right with God. I'm, I'm not gonna do that, okay? I, I don't think, I don't think anybody ever has done that. You can look at that word and you, that's, and right there the context demands, I look this up, And figure out exactly what this word means. And this is not a word that's in our Bible a lot. In fact, I think this is the only time it's in the Bible. But if you look up the definition 1828, it means not restraining the passions or appetites, particularly the sexual appetite. Indulging lust without restraint or in violation of law, unchaste and lewd. And so that goes along with all those other things he mentioned. That's also exactly what we're seeing today too. That's definitely a sign of the time. So again, like I mentioned last week, sometimes we are required to go to a dictionary to make sure we understand that word. And I don't want to re-preach last week's message, even though the solution is the same for many of these words, that if we actually practice the Bible like we're supposed to. In other words, if we actually taught the whole counsel of God, if we meditated on these things, if we memorized these things, if we talked about them in our house, if we talked about them when we walked by the way, if we use these words like the Bible says all the time and didn't just completely ignore certain things, we would just know, We would just we would just understand as a people, we would understand as a culture what these things mean. But again, because we have been so disobedient to so much of the Bible and because we have just neglected so many Scriptures, there's going to be stuff like this that's going to come up. There's going to be words that we're not going to understand. There's going to be passages that we struggle with. And the solution isn't just to update the Bible. It's to know, let's actually take our Bible study more serious. Let's actually do a little more Bible reading. Let's do a little more talking about the Bible. Let's talk about some extra subjects. Let's not just talk about you know, the Baptist, you know, the Baptist five or six subject. you know, the scriptures, soul winning, separation, standards. Uh, I forgot. They're, they're like all six things. They're all S. But, you know, hey, there's other things we can talk about, too. And I'm for all that stuff. But there are other things that we can talk about, too. And so when you read something like that, if something doesn't make sense, you're probably looking at it wrong. But uh, here's another thing, too, about that definition. Um, it says in, in the Webster's 8 to 20, it's unable to restrain uh, discharges, which is also kind of a, you know, in the dictionary.com or the modern definition, that's more what it's talking about. And so basically just like someone cannot control their bodily function sometimes, and they'll use that word incontinent. That word used to be used for someone who just had no ability to control themselves when it came to just lustful things, just absolutely no control over their body. And so sometimes words do, they just kind of over time, you know how we use them changes, but you know the relation is still there. And at the end of the day, a little bit of study will figure it, you'll figure it out. Another thing that he said to do to help you understand is to spot false friends, and this isn't something that uh, most of us in here are probably going to practice, and I don't think it's necessary, but he'll say compare with other translations. Okay. Now this is a solution that he gave. Again, he brought up a legitimate challenge: false friends. Or words we think we know the meaning of. But then he comes up with a bad solution. He says, so what you have to do, is you have to compare with other translations. And so he goes to 1 Kings 18.21. And I, I really wish we had time. Because if if you read, I have his book uh, about the about this issue. And if you read the section on false friends, almost every one of these examples that he's giving, when you go through that verse and then he would give like this clear explanation of the word, it's like that is exactly how I've taught that verse. Because again, I don't just zero on the word. I zero on the context of the verse, of the context of the passage. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading through all these things. It's like, I got that message. I clearly got that message. I mean, yeah, that one word all by itself might be a little confusing, but when, you're, when you give somebody a message, it's never about one word. It's about all the words that they're saying. And even if you get a little confused or you misunderstand one word here or there, the context of everything is what's going to help you figure out what you're supposed to do. So in 1 Kings 18.21, it says in the King James, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him and the people answered him not a word. And so, how long halt? Okay? Now you all think you know what halt means, you know, cuz today the way we use that, you know, would mean like to stop, right? But you know, so the thing is, your King James Bible just really messed you up right now because you all thought how long, you know, do you stop in between two opinions? And so that just completely threw you off. And so what we need is I think this is the ESV Forgot to mark it down. And it says, And Elijah came near unto all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer Him a word. So, limping. That makes it so much easier now. That just that changes everything, right? Because, and you know, the King James said, Halt, you got the wrong message. You thought that meant stop. But it actually means limping. And if you go... And you study the Hebrew, if you study the definitions, if you look at all the lexicons, all that kind of stuff, you'll find out, no, that word halt actually means limping. Uh, but, okay, but again, did that mess you up when he's talking about how long halt you between two opinions? Because what is Elijah doing right here? He's trying to get the people to make a decision when they were, when they're in a situation where they're trying it's like they're, they're trying to be neutral. They're trying not to go one way or the other. You know, what, what are they doing? Have, have you ever seen that before? We see this in politics. We see this even in the theological world where, and, and so what will happen in the political world, you know, maybe somebody comes out with this ad just showing some horrible scandal by, the other, you know, by their opponent. And then, what do all the people who are on that the side of that opponent, opponent do? They wait to hear what their talking points are. It's like, I need to know what to say. And so then finally, you know, the, that person will come out with their response, and then all of a sudden, you know, all their pundits just repeat all that stuff. We've seen it before. Too. I've seen this before in the preacher world, where a guy will get up and he'll preach a mer- uh, message refuting some other person's opinion, and all their followers... They want to jump on that guy, but that guy, man, he put up a really good argument. you know. And so they're, they're, they're wanting to know what to do. I want to be able to call this guy a heretic, but I don't know how. So what do they do? They wait for their guru to do some kind of response so they can find out what their talking points are supposed to be so they can kind of go after them. And so that that's how we see it a lot of times. But a lot of times you have two people that they just, they don't know which way they're going to go. And so they're kind of, you could say they're stalling. You could say they're limping. You could say, you could even say they're stopping. They're just, they're they're being drugged in two different directions, and they don't want to make a choice. And Elijah is telling these people, "How long are you going to do this? Listen, if the Lord's God, follow Him. If Baal, then follow Him. You can't remain in the state of limbo. You can't remain in the state of no choice. And so, uh, the thing is, either way you'll either either way you define that, we get the message from it. It's not a problem. But here's the thing too. If you want to say that it's, you know, referring to limping, uh, Mark 9:45 says, "And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life, than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire which shall never be quenched." I mean, what's going to have you get you cut your foot off? Yeah, you're going to be halt. You're you're going to limp, or you're going to be slowed up. There's a lot of ways you could use that word. There's a lot of ways you can say that word. Either way. We get the message. If you get your foot cut off, are you going to do as well in a race? Are you going to be able to get around as good? No, you're going to be you're going to be held up. It says in Luke 14, 21, so the servant came and showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Going quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bringing hither the poor and the maimed and the halt. Nobody's going to think that means the stopped. And even if it meant the stopped, what does that mean? No, this is talking about the disabled. Okay, so again to be halt, it doesn't just mean your foot's cut off. It could be that it's crooked. It could just be there's something defective in it that's making it hard for you to get where you need to go. It says in John five three, and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, uh, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So again, it's just it's another way to say disabled. And so uh, there's there's some words that can be used in a lot of different ways. But what a lot of these guys will do, they'll go to these dictionaries, they'll go to these lexicons, they'll tell you to look these words up, and then you know you can get the real meaning. My question is, how can you not get the real meaning from just looking at the context of the passage? It's not hard. Again, it's just about seeing how that word is used. The same way we used the example last week with Kelly when she says, I be a drink. You know, after you hear her use that word, you know, today, this morning, she was telling me she'd be money because she wanted to go to Casey's. And so Chloe beat my wallet, you know, and it's just like, you know, you know I know what she means because I've, I'm hearing how she uses that word. And it's the same thing in the Bible. We just have to pay attention. You, now, listen, I think a lot, I'm afraid that a lot of this guy's audience are people that just don't read their Bibles very much. And if you just never read your Bible, if you, if you don't know your Bible well, if you don't know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal very well, and then he gets up, how long hold ye between two opinions? I have no idea what that means. Uh, well, the thing is, you wouldn't know exactly what it meant if you understand he's challenging these people that if Lord's God followed him, if Baal's following him. Make a choice. Decide. He, he's demanding a decision right there from people who are trying to not make a decision. That that's all that means. So if you're not familiar with that passage, you're not going to have any clue, but again, if you're familiar with that story, it's hard to not know exactly what he's talking about. I think it's very clear. So he said that we need to, you know, look up words in a lexicon or look up words in a contemporary dictionary. Uh, another thing he said to do too, and watch out for this kind of thing," he said. "Look up the word in an Oxford dictionary." Okay? Now, again, I'm all for that. I think that's good and helpful. But here's the thing about that too. He he makes clear in his video the Oxford dictionary is very hard to get a hold of. It's also huge. And um, you know he was talking about it's probably one of the best dictionaries and all that kind of thing. But guess and don't worry, folks. He happens to have one. Okay. Most of you in here, probably all of you, you probably don't have an Oxford dictionary. And if you decide you want one today, you're probably not going to be able to get one. Even if you find one online, it's probably going to be too expensive. So that's just, you know, that's pretty convenient. So since we're probably all not going to be able to get a hold of one of those, let's all go listen to the guy who's got one. You know, so that, that's kind of convenient right there. Watch out for that kind of thing. But the truth is we can figure out the meaning of the word the same way we learn many of the archaic words, just by paying attention to how it's used. And when you see how the word halt is used in the Bible, it's very obvious what it means. So, it is actually pretty foolish, you know, to come to the conclusion the word meant stopped between two opinions because, you know, you can't really stop between two positions. Especially when somebody is demanding choose one or the other. Choose, you know, you, you know, we're not, I'm not giving you an option of just being in the middle somewhere. No, make a choice right now. You know, you can't really, you can't really do that, but you know, you can make a choice, you know, and you can just kind of limp around, you know, you can stall, you know, you can do whatever you have to do to just delay making a decision because you're just too big of a coward or, or whatever. And that's clearly what he's talking. So he, he admitted too, that most of these false friends are in areas of literal, little doctrinal significance. And you know what? I believe that's one of the reasons we forget it. Because when it comes to things that are important, things that are regularly emphasized in churches, we know the meanings of those things. Because we've done what we were supposed to do. We've taught the whole counsel of God. We've read those Scriptures. We've talked about those Scriptures. You know, we've got up, we've expounded on these things. And so, it's kind of hard to forget what some of these things mean. We talked about it a while back. Like, even the word repentance... How the word repentance, that word is used all the time in churches because of the fact that it is a part of salvation. Obviously, you are in in many places a part of salvation. So we're going to pay very close attention to those scriptures. The problem is, because we typically only use that word in a religious context, you know, people forget that, you know, you can actually repent of All kinds of things. You know, you can repent of going to McDonald's and go to Burger King. You know, you can repent of all kind you can repent of all kinds of stuff. And it's not necessarily always a repenting of sins. It is just a changing of mind most of the time. But nobody, when they change their mind these days, said I repented. You know? And uh you know, no no wife, when her husband comes home and she was expecting a gift or flowers or something like that, and she says, Well, I thought you were gonna buy me flowers and your husband's like, Well, I was, but I repented. And repentance is good, right? <laughs> no, not in that situation. And you're going to get in trouble you know, for, for not coming through. There's some, things, there's some things you're not supposed to repent of. You know, and, and we do. We see in the Bible, Israel got in trouble because they left Egypt like they were supposed to, but then they repented of that and, and wanted to go back. But here's the thing too. They didn't even go back. They just wanted to because they had, they had a change of mind. But we don't use that word like it that often today. So people, a lot of bad theologians have made the word repentance always about salvation, which is very foolish to do that. And so at the end of the day, if we would just use the word the way the Bible does, that's why I think terminology is important. Yeah. I I don't want to beat people up for bad terminology. I'm not going to cast people into hell for bad terminology, but I do think it's important that we use biblical terminology. We use the words the way the Bible Uses the words, you know. A lot of people think a lot of Bible words are just cuss words because they're typically just used in a in a profane way, and uh, you know, they're words people use when they're angry, when they're upset, like our world does. I don't think we ought to use those words that way. I think we ought to always use the Bible words the best we can, the Bible way, especially if they're ones that are typically associated with the Bible. You know, you know, when we're talking about hell, that's a very serious thing, and I think we ought to use that in biblical context, especially in a world where that, you know. Thinking is all twisted. So, um, so again, like he, he mentioned, these are of little doctrinal significance. That's why we forget it. But this is the problem, too, with modern versions. Is, and this is what these guys don't talk about. So they'll admit the false friends are words that make, you know, where they're at, there's little doctrinal significance. But the problem is these modern versions, they change words in areas where there's major doctrinal significance major you know when you have the niv leaving out an entire verse like when it says if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest when the eunuch asks you can be baptized that's pretty big doctrinal significance right there especially in a world where many people are teaching that you know you have to be baptized or you know, to go to heaven or you can baptize babies and things like that you know we believe that you have to be saved to be baptized you know, and that only a saved person should get baptized. And we use that verse to prove it. And then it's just gone. And, and you want to worry about a couple false friends in my King James Bible. I want to hear you talking more about those missing verses in the NIV and in some of these other versions. It just seems kind of hypocritical. I want I want them to talk about words that are changed that make huge doctrinal difference. You know, to those of us who are being saved, adding that word Makes a big difference. I'm glad I'm saved and I'm not being saved. There's a big difference between saved, past tense, and being saved. What if something happened before the process gets finished? I can't. I can't be. I'm not. I'm not secure in in the in the process of being saved. I'm secure in saved in in the past tense. These are important things, and you know you're more worried about the word besom instead of broom in the Bible. I'm more worried about these words that you're adding in that I do know the meanings of. And you're literally changing the message. And so I just think there's a lot of hypocrisy in these people. And here's the thing too. He he will often admit that the King James translators typically got it right when it comes to these words. But they will just say it's not a good choice for today. But my question is, If the KJV translators got it right in their day, how come the modern translators can't get things right in their day? Okay, fine. Yeah, we don't use that word in that way anymore. But again, it's not a matter of just changing it from nephew to grandson. You know, these these aren't the problems that I'm having. It's it's much bigger. The, The problem most people have is they try to read their theology into the Bible and it causes them to do some really weird things. With the Bible, for example, in Isaiah 9, 6 it says for unto us, a child is born unto us. a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, of the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. We know this is a messianic prophecy talking about Jesus. And it says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now the Ruckmanites, they look at that verse and because the rukmanites they have already decided we are going to inhabit other planets one of these days. Okay, they got that, you know, weird teaching from Ruckman. And so if you, if you do, if you know in your heart, we're going to inhabit other planets one of these days, then when you read your Bible, if you're looking for that, you can make some passages mean that okay? the problem is there is nowhere in the Bible where it gives any indication we're going to inhabit other planets one of these days, but because they think that's the case, what do they do? They read of the increase of his government. Meaning, well, the Bible says there's going to be no end of the increase. And if it keeps getting bigger and bigger, eventually we're going to run out of room in this world. So therefore we have to inhabit other planets. No, because guess what? Increase does not always mean getting bigger and bigger. It says in Genesis 47:14, and it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh and the fourth part shall be your own. Increase is just what your fields produce, what your farms produce. And guess what we do with the increase? We consume it. We use it. And guess what happens if we don't have an increase? We'll eventually have a famine and we'll starve and we'll die out as a people. But in Christ's kingdom, there will be no end to his increase. It will always produce and therefore we will never starve. There will be no end to the peace. We will never be destroyed by an invading army or anything like that. That's all that's talking about. So again... You know, I don't think we need to change the, the word increase there. I think you just need to not be a Ruckmanite and just <laughs> look at the context of it and look at how the word is being used. But again, somebody already had it in their head in their theology. We're going to have it other planets one of these days. So that's how they read that. But here, what if, what if we had a Bible? What if we had the belief that our Bible was perfect in every word, which is what we believe? Here's what it would cause us to do. It would cause us anytime we read something that causes conflict, that, you know, or if we have any kind of problem or interpretation or doctrine, if we believe our Bible's perfect, then what we're going to do, we're going to try to f- study to find out where we went wrong, to figure out how to reconcile all these things. And, but if we don't have a perfect Bible, then we have no way of knowing for sure for right on any doctrine. One of the reasons we know we're right in our doctrine is because it doesn't conflict. Because it's consistent. That's what's supposed to happen. But if our Bible is flawed, if I'm reading something and it's like, man, something doesn't seem right, well, they probably translators probably just used a bad word there, messed something up. I have I have no way of correcting myself. But thankfully we do have that's why the Bible says too. You know, the, talk about how that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. We can't be perfect or complete without a Bible that's perfect or complete. We'll have no way of checking up. But when, and so when everything's consistent, you know, and none of us are perfect. And we do, we all have areas in our Bible study and in our doctrine where we scratch our heads a little bit. But because we believe our Bible is perfect, you know what it causes us to do? It causes us to keep studying. It causes us to keep on doing the work being diligent until these things can all reconcile and come together. And so uh, other Bibles have, and, and here's the thing, these people are not showing me a clear contradiction in the King James Bible. Now, they will often show me things that conflict with their doctrine. You know, they'll show me things in the, in the King James that conflict with Calvinism. But again, I believe Calvinism is a false doctrine because it does not reconcile itself In our King James Bible, but again, they don't—they don't have that mindset. But yet, I can see clear contradictions in their Bibles, and they don't want to address those things. And I'm not going to take time to read these things, uh, all these. But you know, how about the fact that the NIV calls Jesus and Lucifer the Morning Star? That's kind of a problem. Now, I I want to read this to you real quick on GotQuestions.org. Okay, Their, their stuff comes up all the time if you search questions, and they get a lot of stuff wrong. I do not recommend getting answers to questions at GodQuestions.org. Okay, they get a lot of stuff wrong. But, I want to read their, their, how they reconcile these things. And when you read this, it becomes very clear that when you have this, when you have the wrong mentality on things, it'll really mess things up. Listen to what they said. It is interesting to note that the concept of the morning star is not the only concept that is applied to both Jesus and Satan. In Revelation 5.5, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In First Peter five eight, Satan is compared to a lion, seeking someone to devour. Listen, sometimes lion is just referred to as strength, you know, it's referring to his power. You know, here Satan is being compared because it's trying to devour someone. Okay, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, and and I, I shouldn't even have to explain these things, but this is just a horrible comparison. It says the point is both Jesus and Satan, to a certain extent, have similarities to lions. Jesus is similar to a lion. And that he is the king. Well, you know what? Jesus is also referred to as an angel or messenger sometimes. And so Satan, you know, he's transformed into an angel of light. Okay. the The, the problem is the differences. Okay. that that's the problem. And so this is where similarities between Satan and Jesus and lions end. However, Jesus and Satan are like lions in very different ways. The idea of a bright morning star is a star that outshines all the others, and Jesus is the one who is called bright. Satan was a morning star. Jesus. As God incarnate, the Lord of the universe, is the bright morning star. Jesus is the most holy and powerful light in all the universe. So while both Jesus and Satan can be described as morning stars, in no sense is this equating Jesus and Satan. Satan is a created being. His light only exists to the extent God created it. Jesus is the light of the world. Only Jesus is bright and self-existent. Satan may be a morning star, but he is only a poor imitation of the one true bright morning star, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Now, folks, this is a terrible explanation right there. But again, this is someone making an assumption because they're assuming that all versions are good. They have they have that assumption. Somebody's told them. So therefore, if all versions are good, this must be what that means. No, actually, the problem is you got it wrong. These they're not all the same. They're not they're not all good. And I I wish I had more uh, time. We're out of time. But listen, this is why there's major doctrinal differences between KJV only and non-KJV people. This is why. And it is. It's a very important issue. And we'll talk more about this next week. I wasn't able to get into some of the arguments I wanted to. But don't let the false friends uh, argument scare you away from the King James Bible. Just let it remind you to do a little more work. And don't let these Bible correctors make you look dumb just because you were lazy in your Bible interpretation. Because you saw increase and in thought meant getting bigger and bigger. And we were going to have it on the planets one of these days. That was just you being dumb with the Bible. And even a heretic can embarrass you if you take that position. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Help us to study it like we're supposed to, like you commanded us. And help us to not be ashamed. And help us be effective in spreading the message to other people. In your name we pray. Amen.